I told Pete, look at me, I don't bat lead off. He said, so, here I am. I want you to all help me now. On the count of three, on the count of three, help me with the words for the love of Pete, okay? One, two, three, for the love of Pete. On behalf of Ginger, Jordan, Luke, and the Thornburg family, I welcome you to today's service for the love of Pete. What a great title for a most unwelcome event. Please know the family appreciates your attendance and support you have given them through the past months. We are here today as a testament to how each of our lives' journeys have been enriched by knowing Pete. I know mine was. The participants' service and music have been purposefully chosen and arranged as Pete requested. Ginger, Jordan, and Luke have taken care to follow Pete's wishes. I hope you feel the energy Pete designed for his service. He knew that energy is a part of a healing prescription necessary to help with sorrows and sadness. Ginger, Jordan, Luke, thank each one of those who willingly said yes to participate in today's service, from preparing and serving the food, greeting, running the AV, preparing the program and the remembrance cards, facility preparation, and cleanup. Many of you received the remembrance cards when you arrived today. These cards have been provided for you to write notes to the Thornburg family or memories of your time with Pete. When complete, please place the cards in the basket in the narthex or the basket in the reception, which is in the Christian Life Center following today's service. Ginger is appreciative of all received. I want to make you aware of some of Pete's contributions to his church, which might slip by without notice. The Santa Clarita Church was important to Pete. You all know Pete had a strong love for people and community. Not too long ago, leadership of the church met and began to develop a mission statement. You know Pete. This is right up his alley. On the screen is the current mission statement of the Santa Clarita Seventh-day Adventist Church. Pete was instrumental in developing the mission statement. And of course, Pete wanted to make sure there was an identifying logo to go with it. So Pete created this logo. There is simplicity and clarity. The message and meaning of Christ as its foundation and the church's mission can be read in word and design. Can you see the cross? The seven, the arms reaching heavenward, the arms reaching out to care for others, and the forward motion for life. Pete had a love for the youth of the church. He devoted many hours to their teaching and training. Pathfinders is a perfect example. 
The Church Pathfinder Club, the Condors, needed a special logo. Pete stepped in and designed the Condor logo, logo you see. The Pathfinder Club was now complete with a patch for its uniforms and a flag which uniquely identified the club among other Pathfinder clubs at Camp Arise. Here, the Santa Clarita Pathfinder Condor, mighty and in flight. I also want to make you aware of another major contribution Pete made to his church community. In the late 90s, the space now occupied by the Christian Life Center, where we will have our reception, was just barren land ripe for a place of fellowship and community. The church embarked on a nearly $1 million project that would bring to life a facility focused on fellowship and service to our church and surrounding community. To make this dream a reality, the church launched a campaign to design and self-fund such a place. Raising almost a million dollars was a stretch, but not impossible. Well, you know, Pete, you must have a logo for the campaign which embodies the purpose of this campaign, he said. So putting his amazing abilities to work, Pete created the logo you see on the screen, growing in faith together. The gift campaign, as it was called, was launched and successful. The facility was designed and built in short order and was paid for in less than eight years. Today, it is busy with Sabbath school classes, Bible studies, Bible classes, fellowship luncheons, wedding receptions, game times, community-sponsored events, community classes, birthday celebrations, and, for the love of Pete, the reception today. As many of you know, Pete loves sports. During your time at the reception this afternoon, you will see many of Pete's talents displayed. You will see numerous football helmets, basketball and baseball jerseys with creative logos and names. What awesome designs from a very creative mind. Please check them out. Pete loved to play basketball, and he played frequently. From his Tuesday evening group in Culver City, I really think he used that so he could stop by for his weekly Tito's Tacos uh, <laughs> supper, to his Sunday and Thursday night runs with the Chump Busters. The Chump Busters is my son's team. They played in several adult open leagues around LA, San Gabriel, and San Fernando Valleys. Pete and I were privileged to play with these young guns. I suggest you locate the Chump Buster basketball uniform at the reception, or maybe on the back of one of the Chump Busters that are here with us today. Check out the back of the Chump Buster uni. How could Pete play on a team without a logo? Well, he couldn't. Sure, I'll play on your team, but there needs to be a logo. And presto, you will see the Chump Buster logo on the back of the team jersey. And when you see it, see if you can see the basketball, the hoop, the basketball going through the hoop, and the C and B for Chump Buster. 
We won several league championships with the assistance of Pete's grill shot, as it came to be known. It seems the more in the grill the defender was, the more accurate his shot. After one chump buster victory, as we walked by the losing team, known as the chumps, <laughs> we overheard one of their players say, I can't believe we just lost to a team with a guy with one hand and an old man. I'll let you guess who's who. <laughs> and of course, win or lose, it was off to the closest hat for a pastrami sandwich and a cold Dr. Pepper, another of Peter's favorite. Ginger, Jordan, Luke, and the Thornburg family invite you to stay after the service for a reception in the Christian Life Center. You will enjoy the bounty of some of Pete's favorite foods and drinks, it will be a time you can visit and share your stories and memories of Pete with each other. Check out some of Pete's creative sports designs, laugh and cry with one another and with Pete's family. Socialize and enjoy the time with this new community who have come together for the love of Pete. That is what Pete wanted. Well, I don't believe there is a better way to welcome you all here today than to share the last words I heard from Pete. I really appreciate your visit. Thanks for dropping by. My name is Jerry Nelson. My mother's a musician, and Pete's mom's a musician. They went to school at La Sierra together. Then Pete and I spent four years together at Monterey Bay Academy. I remember the first time I ever saw Pete. Um, he was wearing a Lakers jacket. No, actually, it was a Rams jacket, excuse me. And he was, um, he had a hook. And I remember when I came up to shake his hand, I went with this hand, and he just so quickly put out his left hand. We, we became fast friends. Pete's youngest, my oldest, uh, went to high school together, junior and senior year at Newberry Park Academy. And then they went to Pacific Union College, and they're fast friends to this day. I'm so thankful for God for bringing our families together. I've got a 1,000 stories I could share, and these guys have thousands more. And how many of you have a story about St. Peter? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, nobody like Pete. Um, this guy's sense of humor and his gracious, loving spirit. He's a guy that when you have conversations with him, he wants to know what's going on in your life. He wants to know what's going on with your kids. A heart of gold. We're going to miss Pete. And the reality is we want to see him again. How about you? Amen. Now, one thing I was realizing, it just dawned on me today, the next time I see Pete, he's going to have two hands. Are we okay with that? He made a client. I think so. I mean, that's his trademark. That's his deal. Um, but the, the reality is, the Bible tells us, and, and I know for me, I, I try to figure out how to get through this. And, and for me as a guy, the thing that I was able to do as I watched Pete 
this virus overtaking his body and seeing him just wither down and lose weight, it was so hard to watch. And knowing that he's not suffering anymore is such a blessing. The Bible tells us that we grieve, but we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Amen? Amen. This song we're going to sing is a song that was sung in dorm worship. These guys are quick to point out I was never in the dorm. I was a faculty brat, and they like to ridicule me about that. But anyway, here I am anyway. Um, In dorm worship, there were two famous songs that the guys would sing around our generation. One was, the number one song was? Seeking the Lost. Somehow it didn't seem like the right song for today. So we're doing the second most famous song, which is, in a little while, we're going home. How we long for that day when together we will be with Pete and we'll sing this song again by the Sea of Glass. Will you join us? Here's how this is going to work. We're going to sing the first verse and chorus a cappella. Then Melody's going to come in on the piano, which will immediately let us know if we went off tune while we were singing the first verse and the chorus. That's when you come in. Please join us for the second and third stanzas of the song. Thank you so much. cheer us by the way in a little while we're going home for the night will end in the everlasting day in a little while we're going home in a little while in a little while while, we shall cross the billows billows home we shall meet at last when the stormy winds are past
When the service was announced, I wondered if we'd find room in this house. So many knew him, and all who did loved him, and of course the house is full. When the crowdsourcing site GoFundMe was created to assist Ginger as she took time off for Pete's care, I knew everyone would want to contribute. For Pete's sake was not only clever, it was compelling. And actually, if it hadn't been for him, he would have liked it a lot more. <laughs> and almost everybody did actually contribute, even people who didn't directly know him. So many of you were so generous. Thank you. Thank you, Julie, Inga, and Jill, who put it together, and all of you who contributed. To eulogize is to speak well of someone who has recently died, but your presence, this full house, your love, support, and generosity give eulogy already. We could actually skip this pastoral act I now engage, not because Peter wasn't worth speaking well of, or because speaking of faith isn't needed now, but because so much has been said even without words. Essentially, Peter lived in such a way that no one could say anything truly bad about him. His life and death both spoke and continue to speak. He lived fully, generously, joyfully, and judiciously, and was always circumspect in what he said about others. He chose to be kind. Some people need to be preached into heaven, not Pete, nor would he want anything to do with that. My task this afternoon is simply to remind us all of who he was and the myriad ways in which he reflected his Savior and lived his faith. Jesus said in John 16:33, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. Like Jesus, Peter was an overcomer. Born with one hand, Pete wasn't afraid to put that difference out there, and when younger, to challenge anyone to see him as less for it. This part of who Pete is, was, was actually very tricky. I, won't, I wouldn't give it any time except that the ways in which he embodied and transcended his own uniqueness had significance for who he was and who he became. Peter wasn't defined by difference. He didn't obsess or focus on this. He was aware of his uniqueness, but he didn't think of himself as different in terms of capability because... Obviously, he was so very capable. And simultaneously, he was amazingly tuned into people others might also initially perceive as less capable. He bonded easily and was loved greatly by all manner of image of God bearers, differently abled. Peter was so at home with himself, with his habitus, with his way of being in the world, that he found himself disturbed, even insulted by the idea that one day in heaven he'd be restored, as some put it, and given a new hand. Heaven for him meant simply that he would be as he had been born, wanted, loved, unique, and one-handed able, capable. So this defined him in some ways and didn't. His left one-handedness was an identifier, a point of uniqueness, and it was also a badge of honor, offering the possibility that he would be underestimated, as was already hinted at. 
On Sabbath afternoon, April 1 of 2017, my wife and I joined Pete at Urgent Care in Santa Clarita. Pete had a large, painful, cyst-like welt on his middle knuckle, causing him pain as he opened and closed his hand. No one knew what it was, and for the first time, I saw Pete concerned. It was one thing to have one hand, and it was another not to be able to use it or to be able to use it freely. More ominous and more significant, Peter was born with a rare genetic gamma globulin disorder, something that left him vulnerable to all manner of infections, bacterial and respiratory diseases. Life expectancy was unknown, but thought to be short. Thank God for a brilliant pediatrician who figured things out and was Peter's primary care doctor well into his 40s. One speak of Peter in some categories, and the first has to be Peter the son, Peter the brother. It's fortunate then that Peter was born to such strong, capable, intelligent, and determined parents. Wes, an engineer, moved about in his early career days, but ultimately settled in Valencia, where Peter essentially grew up. He was the kind of father that, though he'd not embraced Adventist faith fully, and I think smoked at the time, so loved and positively impacted his son that Pete's own thinking, social sensibilities, and theology were ever shaped, forever shaped by Wes. Peter knew goodness, kindness, care, and love. It wasn't about the form of belief, the habits of life that it took. His father was among the best of men, smart, engaging, solicitous, generous, kind, and, while able, and all while able to say it straight. Peter would tolerate no eternal exclusions on grounds of habit or religious doubts. If God was love, it could be no other way. The dynamics of Peter's own family of origin opened him to the larger family you all represented to him. Both those of you who are here today, those watching live stream, and those who wanted to be here but couldn't. Peter wasn't about boundaries. There was room in his life for all kinds of people from all walks of life. And he was magnificent at finding something to relate to or embrace with almost everybody. His mother, Bunny, a beautiful and talented soprano soloist, musical director, and vocal coach, gave Peter a deep sense that things were okay. Bunny loved, she expected, she fought for Eric and for Peter, she normalized. It didn't matter if Peter was different. He still had endless possibilities and Bunny would never see it otherwise. Her family came first. And for years after the boys were grown, Friday nights belonged to the extended family. Dinner at Wes and Bunny's place was a culinary and aesthetic treat. I know because I got invited once. (laughs) And special birthdays, anniversaries, and more were marked with gatherings, if not with travel. Eric and Peter, like so many siblings, experienced similarities and stark contrasts, differences, rivalries, and pacts. Love took different forms from shared time and affirmation of what could be mutual between them, Presence, relationships and loyalties to family, defending, supporting, never speaking ill of, choral music, hymnody and classically oriented church music, and of course a bond that can only be forged as two are raised together, competing, cooperating, 
living shared histories, a shared birthday, a shared gamma-gobulin disorder. Eric, though you and Peter have had very different adult experiences, he always upheld you as his brother. He loved you. Peter the musician, the student and the athlete. Bunny brought music to the home and music, musical talent to the gene pool. I think he inherited from Bunny a strong strain of the show must go on that informed Pete's sensibilities right up to the end, motivating him to push forward. And Peter was truly a capable musician in his own right. Peter went to a boarding school in, high, in, uh, a boarding school in Watsonville. You just saw the group that uh, represented that school called Monterey Bay Academy. How many of you are here today who went to Monterey Bay Academy when Pete did? Raise your hands again. Or went there at all? All right, excellent. Some of us here today realized what a capable musician Peter was there as Peter sang with the touring choir, Ocean Airs, or the class of 82 men's quartet and other ensembles. Possessed of a great range, he was always the most precise with entrances and cutoffs of virtually anybody. And hardly ever struggled to find pitch or navigate a difficult passage. I know, because I stood really close to him. <laughs> he sang in many choirs, including Vallejo Drive, where his mother directed music in her semi-professional ensemble, Cantori Domino, which focused on music written to the glory of God and took its, aesthetics its aesthetic excellences to multiple destinations in Europe. Peter went with Cantori to England, though faraway places were never as compelling as local places he could go to with friends. I saw a group from Cantori here. Would you please raise your hands? Thank you so much for coming. We really appreciate that. Pete also had an amazing sense of rhythm and timing, so naturally he devised a glove that he could strap onto his right arm with a drumstick attached and learn to play the trap set. Rather well, actually. He used this talent, of course, to have fun with his boys and in the worship context here at church. He loved all kinds of music. It was a major point of connection to me and so many other people, from old man rock, as Jordan calls it, to Baroque, hymnody to praise format music, Peter found inspiration and community in song. He loved actually doing music with Jordan and Luke as much as anything I've ever seen him do their friends, and anybody who would come and play, improvise, or arrange tunes with them, right to the very last in his hospital bed, nothing could enliven and invigorate Pete like having his boys play and or sing for him or with him. This summoned his attentions and his energies and brought him pure joy. In addition to being a great musician, Peter was a varsity champ. His love of sports was obvious, energies inexhaustible, and prowess, well, excellent. He was the quarterback and captain of his football team on the varsity basketball team and did well at any sport he chose to take on. Team sports and following pro sports were also really big with Pete and a source of connection to many others. Leaving high school, Peter had aspirations to become a doctor. Several of his friends were also headed that way, but at La Sierra College, chemistry, biology, and anatomy and physiology just weren't where his mind was, and his grades reflected the struggle. He ended up majoring in English. 
or was it communications? English, I thought so. But this was simply the path to finding his true calling, writing, editing, creating logos, content for websites, even the inaugural recorded message at Walt Disney Concert Hall. Pete was truly clever, a thinker, analyst, writer, creator. Mostly, I think the best thing that happened for Peter at Monterey Bay Academy in La Sierra was the discovery, deepening, and cementing of lifelong relationships. At the risk of leaving people out, I'll forego the names, but you saw so many of them here just a moment ago. You all enriched his life and formed the basis for so many of his adventures, travels, connections, and of course, laughter. Pete was part of multiple sports teams, leagues, fantasy, and real. Milton spoke of that a minute ago. How many of you are here from that part of Pete's universe? Cool, cool. And you just heard from Milt the story of the chump busters beaten by a team with the old guy in the one hand. <laughs> Peter the husband. Pete's counsels counsel to his boys as they started dating and met potential spouses was that they marry the woman that bothered them or annoyed them the least. <laughs> Great advice, right? And of course it's true. Ginger didn't presumably annoy Pete as much as some of the women he met in his life. But this was never it, never. Pete was crazy about Ginger from the beginning. This was a Monterey Bay Academy romance. It wasn't, hey, you don't annoy me as much as some of my other female classmates. <laughs> it was spending every minute possible with Ginger. It was, I love you, I love you, and he did. We all know couples whose names merge into one word. Pete and Ginger is one of those. And it wasn't in name only. It's the kind of meld that comes from marrying young, having children and raising them together young, and being possessed of affable and even temperaments, sharing values and vision. Pete and Ginger had a beautiful partnership, so natural and at ease. To experience hospitality at their home was to experience a dance. Ginger in the kitchen, Peter cleaning and setting up the patio or dining room table or setting it or assisting or building a fire or tending to the one already burning, making coffee, and conversation always flowed. Their home was always a good place to be. Peter always affirmed Ginger's beauty, attractiveness, desirability, and was a huge fan of her cooking, her friendship, her hospitality, her laugh, and of course, the way she annoyed him the least of any woman he knew. <laughs> Pete had an excellent father, and it can be no surprise that Pete was an outstanding father himself. Patient, engaged, encouraging, enthusiastic, supporting, caring, loving, protecting, and honoring. He was wise, and he knew when to speak and when to listen. If we were to think of God as a father to humankind, Peter was an example of a father that would actually make God look very good. I think Jordan and Luke have shared, excuse me, or will share stories of their father today. To both of you, I'm so sorry this has happened so early in your lives, and yet I'm so thankful that you're both men who've had very rich and full times with your amazing dad 
He was crazy about you too. Huge pride of the best kind. Peter, the supervisor, the mentor, the peer, and the colleague. How many of you are here from places or spaces of work that you shared with Peter? I see a, a good contingent there. Maybe at Yahoo or Harman Kardon, Kaiser Permanente, other? I don't need to tell you Pete was the best kind of boss, clear, communicative, specific, and wonderfully affirming. He was, according to some of your Facebook posts, a wonderful mentor. As a peer and colleague, Peter brought enthusiasm, presence, personality, vision, energy, creativity, and congeniality, as well as collegiality and teamwork. His connection, excuse me, he connected where he could on mutual interests and included friends from work in other areas or arenas of life that made sense. He was also capable of navigating around people with whom he didn't mesh without rancor or nastiness. Peter the churchman. Always an Adventist, Peter was involved in church and as Milt so artfully stated, not casually. He and Ginger have in many ways been at the very core of what makes Santa Clarita a great church. I think what I want to say on this is that after marrying Ginger, Pete knew he wanted to eventually settle in Santa Clarita. It was home. It was where his family was. And initially, this church wasn't poised to meet his needs, their needs. But after children came along and the drive to Vallejo in Glendale didn't work out so well, they took Ginger's grandmother's advice. Go local, go where you're needed, make a difference. And so they did. They made a huge difference. Pastorally speaking, I think this is really powerful. Pete modeled a movement away from seeing church and community in consumerist terms. He demonstrated that church community worth belonging to isn't something we shop for. It's something we collectively create. And this is who Peter was, a person who created person who engaged. Peter the friend. Peter was a true and irreplaceable friend. Like Jesus's concentric circle of friends, Peter had a central core, a small group comprising of a very, very few, and then a secondary core, dozens of friends who made up his world at church, work, leagues, sports, and fantasy football, all those who knew him from childhood, MBA, Class of 82 in the years from 79 to 87, his college days at La Sierra. There were those who knew him at work, through independent contracts, or at one of the fine institutions I just mentioned, fine companies. In Peter, there was no falsity, no pretense, no self-aggrandizement, or self-deprecation. No jealousy or one-upmanship. No specific quid pro quos and no taking for granted. No reserve in time or attentiveness. No lies, betrayals, or false confidences. No easy answers or bad advice. Peter, rather, was himself. 
One of his greatest gifts was his capacity to simply be what he was without reserve. As Peter's illness worsened, his appearance was altered by raised, angry-looking red rashes, sores, granulomas inside his body and out, and other skin afflictions. His tongue ulcerated and cankered, and he found foods not tasting the same. He lost huge amounts of weight, and his clothes didn't fit right. As his disease progressed, I was struck by how positive he always was and how unconscious he was, uh, or seemed anyway, regarding his appearance. He, his essence, always radiated through an encounter with him. Pete was secure. He had mastered so many things and contributed so much to the happiness of others. He knew who he was and what he was before God and in all walks of life. He was grateful. Roughly four weeks before he passed, he circled those of us in his hospital room and prayed for us. He prayed with such gratitude, gratitude to God, gratitude for life, for family, and yes, for friends. He was attentive and engaged, and he gave him of himself his ear. He was a tremendous listener. Tell me more about that, I can hear him say. Elaborate. He got people to open up. He shared perspectives, humor, ease, and sociability, acceptance, affirmation, which was huge because everybody wanted to be Peter's friend, joy, aesthetics, interests, in a word, love, God's love. He was reliable, faithful, and true, thoughtful, deliberate, and respectful. I call this next one Peter the Particular. I know it's coming. <laughs> I mean this not in the sense of picky, rather the sense of having a unique interest in or appreciation of. Pete was particular about fonts. There were good ones, bad ones, beloved ones, and hated ones. <laughs> words. He liked to hear words in clever cadences, and he was quick on his feet with words of all purposes, especially humor. T-shirts. Not only did he have to have a souvenir tee if possible everywhere he went, but it needed to have the right design on it, a logo he could live with, Melt, and yes, it needed to be all about uh, the sports. It had to feel a certain way, too. Same with his hats, his lids. It was about comfort, but it was about the logo, the team. Dr. Pepper. Pete knew all over SoCal where the best mixes were. I tell you, it never even occurred to me that one 7-Eleven would have better Dr. Pepper than another 7-Eleven. <laughs> and ice. He was partial to certain shape of cubes so as to maximize the cooling potential, but not degrade the soda by watering it down too much. Almost sounds like Sheldon Cooper. <laughs> and while he kind of liked coffee, he really liked chocolate. So mochas were his thing. He had such joy about finding places that did things as he liked them. Canned coffee, as he called it, in Orange County was a must-go-to. And he liked trying new coffee places wherever he went in search of the perfect mocha. Points deducted if it wasn't extra hot. Pastrami had to be the hat. Tacos, make it Tito's, please, and 
all the better after a game. Fires, not too big, not too small, and not with the wrong wood. Always a fire in the fireplace, though, if it was chilly. He was picky about firewood. Orange trees not only grow oranges, which he loved to juice, but the orange tree firewood smells really good when burned. The 126 between Piru and Fillmore was his go-to place for both. Music. On pitch, on point, relevant, and in time, please. Pete, on death and dying. Who here today medically cared for Pete? Anybody here who medically cared for him? If so, you're probably here because Pete was a fantastic patient. And let's face it, that's not something that's easy to be. His doctors loved him and held out hope until the very, very end. The folks at National Institute for Health loved him. His PTs, OTs, RNs, CNAs, his medical team really took his survival as a personal challenge. They first heard Peter mention the possibility of not recovering about a year ago. But death was a secondary concern. He really wanted to be steady on his feet. He'd had a few falls, and it was scaring him. He wanted to be well, and he was so good at normalizing his condition that he directed the praise band here in January, although he did miss February, but was back in March, bundled and in a wheelchair. In April, he spent a long weekend in Cayucas, even while needing assistance to climb a short set of stairs. He never complained. He kept talking about communicating with his boss at work because all he wanted to do was to be well enough to go back to work. Suffice it to say, Pete was all about life. He never wavered on this. He wanted to live. And such a big life he really lived. Peter wasn't a fan of death. Indeed, the idea that he might die struck him as he looked in the mirror one day on his way to rehab. And he asked to be anointed. On April 19, Pastor Mike gathered the elders and family, and we prayed for Pete and anointed him with oil. Psalm 73, 26 in the New American Standard Bible says this, My health may fail, and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. In a work written before they were married, and just after the death of Ginger's mother, Doris Lyman, entitled, Why They Invented Christmas, Peter revealed a bit of what he thought of death. I quote, O death, where is thy sting? I'll tell you where. In eyes that burn with tears of anguish, in stomachs that nauseate with the emptiness of loss, in throats that hurt too much to cry, in hearts that hurt too much not to. That's where it stings. But since his death and for centuries before it, Jesus, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit have lost everyone that has ever died. And somewhere among the hurt in heaven stands the Christmas story. Enter Jesus. Peter's heaven-can-wait philosophy was altered by Doris's loss, and for him... Heaven took on a new significance. He knew Doris wouldn't want us to wander in gloom, just as we all know Peter wouldn't want that either. And so Peter writes, the gift of salvation is worth celebrating, and so is the gift of life. It is in this that the spirit of Christmas 
lives on. The unfathomable power and simplicity of affirming touch and kind words, words of encouragement, challenge, belonging, affirmation, care, and words of love that now define Peter's journey and give rise to our truest memories, these are what we have. Pete has completed his life's journey. His story is now part of the larger story of God and God's love and the legacy left through a family formed and nurtured in that same love. Heaven awaits. To be in the presence of Jesus, Doris, Don, and all those whom we've loved and lost will be all joy. So sleep in heavenly peace, my friend. Sleep in heavenly peace. So we're going to start to uh, get our act together up here, and we're going to lead out in a song that Dad was very particularly enthusiastic about, particular. Um, some of you have done this with us before, and for those of you who haven't, we're going to be shooting the words up there on the top, and if you're not a good singer, uh, Dad wouldn't believe you. He'd just say to make it loud anyway. So, uh, you know, hum along, do whatever you need to make it through, but the song is called What a Friend, so give us a second to set up and we'll get kicked in.
to make sure it was actually my turn. I'd like to thank you guys all again for being here. Uh, we really can't do the gratitude justice. Uh, it's been amazing to see the love that you guys all had for Dad, and I can say with great certainty he'd be very jealous that he missed the chance to see all of us in the same room at the same time. <laughs> it took this. It took this. I'll be honest with you, though, I burned through a lot of ideas and rough drafts for what I was going to say today. If you spent any time at all with him, you knew how intentional he was in the way that he communicated. No detail was too small. Everything had to have meaning. And so you'll probably understand why I got cold sweats when it came time to pick the font for the program. <laughs> Can you imagine if I got that one wrong? There'd be no living with him. My own son picked copper plate gothic? <laughs> but uh, anyway, there are a lot of lessons you can pull from a life well lived. And in Dad's case, we'd be here long enough for the Dodgers to rack up a few more uh, World Series championships if I tried to list them all. So instead, I decided I was going to go with three lessons that Dad never taught us. For example, uh, he never showed us how to be selfish. Dad was quick to give money if somebody would stop him in the street and ask for it. And boy, my instinct was always to second guess their motives. Do they really need it? What are they going to use it for? And Dad would always look at me in my elitist skepticism and say that it was his job to do the help that he could and to trust that God would make sure the help went where it was needed most. And that kind of dual faith in God and the better nature of people is something that still humbles me today and makes me want to do better than I might do otherwise. But he also gave freely of his time, which was much harder for me to do. He volunteered at this church from before I could remember all the way up until he was too sick to keep doing it. He was uh, the one that stepped up and led our after-school basketball program at elementary school, and he designed the t-shirts for those, too. <laughs> You'll notice a theme if you stick around long enough. And he dropped you know, everything to go visit people in the hospital, which is why it was so cool to see so many of you turn out uh, when the tables were kind of turned. But the bottom line was that uh, he was a big believer in being a good steward of the resources that you had, whether it was resources or abilities. And he inspired those around him to practice giving both joyfully. But if you're worried that I'm going to stand up here and spend the next couple minutes solemnly canonizing my dad, you should know that one of his other non-lessons wasn't taking yourself too seriously. <laughs> he ne also never taught us how to be passive. If you were around him long enough, you knew that there was something unique about the way he engaged with certain things. Greg mentioned the Dr. Pepper. Thanks for sniping that piece, by the way. But you really don't have a sense for how encyclopedic that knowledge was. There was probably a good 60-mile radius that he had on lockdown. And, <laughs> and what Greg didn't mention is that he never forgave the ones that got it wrong. <laughs> there was a 7-Eleven that used to be on Valencia, I think, that was just, uh, in his mind, bad with the mix. And I told him one day, I came home, I said, Dad, they closed the 7-Eleven down. He said, which one? I said, the one on Valencia. He said, good. Very particular. Um, in Dad's decade-spanning fantasy football career, he lovingly created logos, jerseys, and helmets for his teams that sported names like the Fresno Brainers and the Tijuana Dance. There are a lot more that were really good, and some of you guys in the league with him had some real ringers, too. I really appreciated the hell in a hand baskets. Uh, he also couldn't just sit back and listen to music. He had to drum along with his hands on whatever the nearest surface was, and that did not exclude the family dog <laughs> at certain points. But that level of engagement came from his need to add things to the world. 
For him, there was a dichotomy of creators and consumers. And it was important for him to add things in addition to only taking from what other people had made. It sounds really noble. It sounds really smart. And there were a lot of times I respected the way that that philosophy manifested in his life. But this is also the man who would toss out an entire card just because the handlebars weren't level. And I didn't see him making any sedans either, so you can take it all for what it is, I guess. <laughs> if nothing else, he never showed us how to hide our opinions. And he certainly never showed us how to quit. Many of you knew that Dad went through life a little shorthanded. <laughs> but what you will never know is how hard it was to restrain myself from making a hand joke until this late in the talk. <laughs> uh, this is a sidebar, but it's probably my favorite story from Dad's, uh, you know, digit experience. He was a ride operator for Magic Mountain when he was a kid. And uh, I think he worked on Revolution. Can you confirm that for me? Yeah. So he worked on Revolution, and that means part of your job is to check the lap bars, make sure nobody's going to fall out, and you give the whole safety spiel. So he pressed the button and he said, make sure to keep all hands and legs inside the car at all times. <laughs> he said he got some looks for that. Uh, <laughs> he may have been born with only one hand, but I think that's all I'd need to count the amount of times I actually saw that slowing down. Uh, you've already heard about his quarterback prowess. You might not know that they called him Pistol Pete on the basketball courts. And uh, it should tell you something about him that he looked at all the musical instruments out in there and said, yeah, I gotta learn the drums. Couldn't just keep it simple. But if you really wanted to see Dad at work, and I'm talking about the peak Peter Thornbrook experience, you needed to ride shotgun with him while he ate. I'm talking <laughs> drippy Taco Bell nachos in both arms, knees working the steering wheel, and this is in a manual Nissan 240SX. And so I say these next two statements with equal truth and, and love. The man was gifted. It's a miracle I survived adolescence. <laughs> but Dad's tenacity went well beyond the physical. If he had a goal, you'd be hard-pressed to stand in his way. Some of you were here a few months back when we had to push through a worship service without a pianist, which meant it was the singers, the drums, and a very uneasy bass player. Where other people might have changed or adjusted their course, Dad was relentless and persevered, and so we played with just drums and a bass and singers, and it sounded awful. <laughs> I had indigestion for like a week after that one. Um, but in retrospect, I loved him for sticking to his guns. And speaking of not giving up when maybe you should have, he also kept using the same clunky cast iron Christmas tree stand with the rusty screws every year for almost 30 years. And you knew it was finally holidays in the Thornburg house when you could hear Dad's wordless guttural rage snarls mingling with the sounds of our favorite Percy Faith Christmas album. <laughs> Bonus points you've got him to accidentally harmonize. But in the spirit of full disclosure, I should tell you that for the past couple years, I was right there next to him getting my whole situation wrecked with an uncooperative Douglas for making the same noises I'm teasing him for now. So dad didn't know how to give up, and every now and then I guess that rubbed off on the rest of us. And as I wrap this up, I'm going to stray a little bit from my theme of lessons, so I hope you'll forgive me for abandoning my narrative device here so close to the finish line. But a few years back, we lost a family friend. It was sad, we missed him, and the heartache was still very fresh on our way back home from the service. But Dad and I talked about how grateful we were that we didn't have to worry about things left unsaid, that he knew how much we cared about him, and we knew how much he cared about us. 
I'm reminded of that now, looking at all the faces here in front of me today. It's clear that you cared for Dad. And I bet that he knew that regardless of how long it had been since you told him so, he knew that you cared too. Or at least, you know, to his best of his abilities. And you should know that he loved you too. Most of you. I haven't done an exhaustive head count at the door. <laughs> so I don't know who snuck in without me looking. We'll say a safe general blanket statement for most of you. But I guess the lesson in this from Dad is that you ought to build your relationships with openness and sincerity so that people never have to guess where they stand with you. My life is certainly better for being able to witness Dad live his. And I know there are a lot of things that I'm sorry and he's sorry he's going to miss. You just know that if the Rams go on to win the Super Bowl next year and he finds out about it, he's going to have a fit. <laughs> Missed it by one year! But he lived selflessly, passionately, relentlessly. And that meant that he wound up doing more with 55 years than some people do with 90. I can't imagine a better group to celebrate that life with than the one that's right here in front of me. And so I'll leave you with one last lesson that Dad did teach us. Don't talk up front too long. <laughs> Thanks again for being here. We love you guys. Beautiful speech, eh, man? I don't much like the word privilege. As a kid, it's something that's taken away from you, and it's usually something that you love and that's fun. It's recess, it's your toys, it's anything they can take. As a teenager, privilege is usually something, a duty or responsibility that you didn't ask for. It's a privilege to serve in the school cafeteria. Um, and now as an adult, it's being thrown out everywhere in weapon words, and while it's good to acknowledge it, it's just become a messy word. So when I hear it, especially the kid in me says, ah. but I can stand here proudly and say that I was privileged, uh, incredibly privileged to have dad as my dad. And I'm very happy that you guys are here to share his life with me. Uh, and let's get into it. Oh wait, and share some of the impact he had on me. Okay, dad really loved church and he really loved this church. Uh, seeing this building so full would have uh, made, I don't know, I don't know if he's, I don't know when the last time he would have seen it like this, but this would have made his heart really happy. Uh, in fact, dad died pretty happy too. Uh, the only thing I think that would have pissed him off is to know that our cat Zippy outlasted him. <laughs> All right, I've got a question for you. Uh, what's the magic word? Please. Yes. Uh, but no, uh, we're taught that from a very early age, but I think that I'm sorry is actually the magic word. Or at least it's the word that all the adults were forcing me to say. Uh, so... Now that might be because I spent too much time in the principal's office, but from an early age it seemed to me that sorry was both a very powerful word and also a kind of a BS word. <laughs> it didn't matter if you pulled the best prank of the year, if the class dweeb tattled on you and you guys got into it, you both had to get pulled out and 
say you're sorry. Now say you're sorry too. Teachers didn't really care, in my experience, for the animosity left unresolved. They just wanted to hear you say it so they could get you back into class. However, uh, initially I resisted these notions. Uh, I was in the right. I had nothing to apologize for. And uh, the little rebel in me fought the good fight for the rest of the day in the school secretary office, watching the screensaver bounce from edge to edge. <laughs> but eventually, my resolve would wither like most kids do, and the allure of the outside world would beat me down until I begrudgingly said, I'm sorry too. I didn't mean it. <laughs> I only said it because they made me, and I yearned to be free. And after enough repeats of this, it became ingrained into my mind. Any trouble? Sorry. However, while at school, this was the cure-all. At home, this was ineffective. Uh, it, <laughs> They liked to hear it, but it did not have the same effect. It was not a magic word. Uh, story time. I remember when I was a little kid, probably quite young, I think six, uh, mom and dad got me Luke Skywalker's green lightsaber, and it was my favorite toy that I'd ever had. I would spend hours fighting rancors and sarlaccs in my head, and I loved that thing. However, I didn't put it away, and that really ticked off mom. Here's how... Uh, my memory of the fateful day went down. <laughs> Jordan and I were playing something like Sega Genesis, and Mom came in and told me to pick it up. I said I would. Later, she came by and still hadn't, and she told me that if I didn't clean it up, she would throw it away, and that she meant it. Uh, I made a mental note and quickly jumped back into my unsavable Genesis game, truly meaning to get to it. Uh, later still, when all thoughts had been completely erased from my mind, uh, she came again with fury. And I jumped up, I begged, I pleaded, Mom, I'm so sorry, Mom, please, please, I'm sorry. Nothing could sway her. And she dragged my sobbing body away and made the journey outside to throw it in the dumpster. <laughs> As she threw it in, she made sure I saw, slowly, and she said, Luke, you have forever lost this privilege of having the toy. Privilege. Now this, to me, in my young mind, was loss. Uh, my young mind couldn't conceive of anything truer or deeper, and it seemed so unfair, and more importantly, unjust. I had not meant to leave it out, I had simply forgotten. But that's the sad ending to this story. The happy ending is when I realized later that it wasn't forever gone, and I went out and grabbed it from the trash can. <laughs> but the really sad ending came not much later, when mom came in, you see, when I was a kid, sorry mom, mom was the punisher, and dad was the lecturer. You can tell me which one's worse. Um, I don't remember the punishment, but I do remember the wait until your father gets home. Man, isn't that a funny window of time when you know you're busted and you're waiting for dad to come home, and he comes in the door and he doesn't yet know of your sins? His eyes light up, he's so happy, full of joy, long day of work, and right as he's about to embrace you, his eyes catch mothers. <laughs> and he knows trouble is afoot. Now after being caught up, Dad gave me his talk, and no amount of magic sorries could change it. Dad saw right through me. And I found out that Mom recently, uh, I found out recently that Mom struggled with this. Um, but Dad said, Ginge, you said you would, so you should. 
And that resolute attitude he has, like Jordan spoke about, is one of the things that I admire most about him. Uh, the next story I had to think about for a while and ask myself, would dad want me to tell this story? <laughs> and the answer would be no. <laughs> but I am. Uh, because it's both the most valuable lesson he taught me and one that he himself never wavered on. Years had passed from the lightsaber incident, and though not enough time for gaming companies to develop save-at-any-time features, and Jordan and I were playing what must have been N64. Now, the story is the same, spoiler, uh, except I had graduated from lightsabers to pole vaulting, and it was a janky pole vaulting. I think it was a cardboard tube from Joanne's fabric store that mom had brought home. Regardless, Jordan and I found out quickly that we could run down the hall, sling it up, and experience moments of brief uh, losses of gravity. And we spent a lot of time doing that. <laughs> However, one day dad came in, told me to pick it up. I said I would, I didn't. He came back in, told me again, you better pick that thing up. I said sorry dad, and then I would, and you guessed it, I didn't. Uh, when he came back a third time, I jumped up again, reverting to my go-to magic word, meaning it with all of my heart, sorry, 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 but in a manner that would give uh, Batman PTSD. Dad uh, snapped that thing right in half, and even Bane would have been jealous. Now, after my tears had subsided, he came into my room, and he gave me a man-to-man -man talk, one that I've never forgot, and one that I hope you all Never forget to. I said, I was sorry, Dad. I'm sorry, Dad. And he said, no, son, you're not. Sorry doesn't mean what you think it means. Sorry means I'm never going to do it again. So if you're going to do it again, just don't tell me sorry. Think of any other word. But only save your sorries for when you mean them. I took his word seriously then and now. And while it has probably caused some of my girlfriends much grief, uh, I've done my best to save my sorries for when I truly mean them. <laughs> now, years later, after all the loss had faded away, Dad would still apologize to me about this. Deep, sincere apologies. He agonized over it long after I had forgotten. It was the only time he expressed direct anger or even anything close to violence. And true to his word, uh, he, he was sorry, and he never did either again. Tonal shift. Uh, how much do you guys know about epigenetics or genetic memory? I knew nothing, and when I heard about this, I was like, that also sounds made up. That's not real. However, Epigenetics is the study of inherent changes in gene expressions, changes that are inherited but are not inherent to our DNA. For instance, life experiences, which are not directly coded in human DNA but can be passed on to children. Experiments have shown that events could affect DNA and alter the brains and behavior of subsequent generations, like mice trained to avoid a smell, who passed their aversion on to their grandchildren, or grand mice. Um, <laughs> So you might ask, okay, so it's instinct. And sort of, but they're on different ends of a spectrum. Uh, genetic memory and epigenetics would be on the recent side of things. Uh, behavior, events, or experience in recent generations. Instinct, on the other hand, would be a behavioral trait developed over the long term. It would likely have begun with genetic memory, 
but after enough generations reinforcing it, it becomes ingrained in the genetic code itself. Some dude, Michael Gazanaga said, as soon as the brain is built, it starts to express what it knows, what it comes from, what it comes with from the factory. And the brain comes loaded. Uh, everything from perceptual phenomena to intuitive physics to so social exchange rules comes from the brain. These things are not learned. They are innately structured. By the time we know about an action, the devices have already performed it. Okay, if none of that made sense, uh, just think of it as encoding a readiness to respond in certain ways to certain stimuli. After all, uh, what is a man but the sum of his memories? And I don't know how much of his code is operating underneath my surface. I don't know if our musicality came from him, or from Grambunny, or from Papa George, or from the generations before them, or if it was simply learned from the moments that they shared with me, teaching me. I don't know if the reactions I have to things are really my own, or his instincts shining through me. But I do know that I've got dad lodged right up in here. <laughs> He's the voice I hear in my head, my consciousness, uh, my sense of right and wrong, and whenever I've struggled with something, it hasn't been uh, WWJD, it's been WWPD. And I hear him guiding me, sometimes chastising kindly me, uh, reminding me of the character that he valued so much. Uh, Dad loved me enough to let me go, to go to boarding academy, to go to Spain, and to know and trust me enough to know that he had raised a man and that he had prepared me for life. Now I catch moments when he comes through me, uh, whether it be the tone of my voice, the way I write, or my tendency to analyze the minutia, in other words, the particular. Um, now not so much in the trivial sense, um, but in the way he could spend hours making precise adjustments to the fonts or logos, or the way he could listen to the same song, same performance, different tracks, different recordings, and find a meaning to it. Uh, the way he could take the same Bible verse and look up 10 different translations of it, trying to glean the message. Or the way he definitely would have noticed that I started this talk bagging on privilege, and how the first song we sang also says, what a privilege it is to carry everything. I wonder if dad truly found the most meaning in the small things. Well. I know what I got, but here's what I hope I get. I hope I get his spirituality, his kindness, his character, his intellect, his musicality, his humor, his disposition, his conversation, his rationality, and the way he could leave an impact on somebody. But most of all, I hope I get his hair. Though Dad, like Jordan said, was always vocally proud of our public speaking skills, uh, he didn't care much for long services. And I'll wrap this up. Here's what I hope you do not take from this. I hope you don't say, man, Luke really likes to talk about his toys. <laughs> and number two, I hope you guys don't leave here defeated. I hope you're able to find your sense of joy and hope. And while the tears may come, uh, I want you guys to find and focus on the positive, just like Dad would have. Okay, here's the, ho here's the things I hope you do do. Uh, I hope you take the time afterwards to uh, crack a cold one, take a sip, and tell your own stories about him, especially the ones he wouldn't want you to tell. Number two, 
Uh, our children are affected not only by the lessons that we teach them, but through our actions, our thoughts, and our experiences throughout life, even before they are born. Like Luke Skywalker said, uh, no one's ever really gone. And third and finally, I want you guys to remember that I'm sorry and I apologize mean the same thing, except at a funeral. Okay, that's not my joke. Think about it, you'll get it later. Uh, but from dad to me to you, truly, think about all the sorries that you throw out. Uh, a magic word loses value if you use it too much or mindlessly. Now when I asked him what song he wanted to play at his funeral, he already knew. Uh, Don't Look Back, he said, by Boston. I'm not gonna analyze it. I'm not gonna editorialize it. Instead, I just wanna read the words and let you all find your own meaning, as he did his. Don't look back. A new day is breaking. It's been too long since I felt this way. I don't mind where I get taken because uh, the road is calling and today is the day. I can see it took so long to realize, uh, but I'm much too strong not to compromise. Now I see what I am is holding me down and I'll turn it around. I finally see the dawn arriving. I finally see beyond the road I'm driving, far away and left behind. It's a new horizon and I'm awakened now. Oh, I see myself in a brand new way because uh, the sun is shining, the clouds are breaking, because I can't lose now, there's no game to play. I can tell that there's no more time left to criticize. I've seen what I could not recognize. Everything in my life was leading me on, uh, but I can be strong. I finally see the dawn arriving. I see beyond the road that I'm driving, uh, far away and left behind. I love you, Dad, and I'm proud of you. Well, the words of that song are beautiful. The song, we'll call it beautiful, but it's not beautiful. It's kind of, it's fun. If that explains it, you'll understand. It's rowdy. rowdy. It's rowdy, that's a good word. Hey, before we start, can we get this monitor turned up a little bit? Does that sound better? Ooh, that sounds nice.
I think we have a new theme song for General Conference 2020. <laughs> Amen. Amen. All right. There is a reception that has been planned, and you are all invited, even the ones who are outside watching the extended version. Thank you. Thank you for coming and showing the Thornburg family. Thank you for showing up for the love of Pete. Let's Every time, second Sabbath, by the way, we have different groups that do things on different Sabbaths, and Pete's Sabbath was always the second Sabbath. This is the first Sabbath of the month, so we swapped. So you've been part of second Sabbath with Pete, and um, every time he would get up and he would say, okay, and he would get his, he'd get his phone out, because, you know, he was a phone guy, and he would say, okay, I'm going to give you a minute. I'm going to give you a minute now to introduce yourself to each other. So... As we stand for the closing prayer, I want you to do something that I think Pete would want you to do, and that is to just fill the aisles, join hands as we invoke the Heavenly Father that Pete loved and that Pete honored in his life, and get to know each other for this moment as we hold hands together and say a little prayer, shall we? He was the one who coined the phrase, family matters. And here at Santa Clarita, this is exactly what it looks like. So thank you for doing that for Pete. Our Father in heaven, the Father of lights that has come down in the form of Jesus Christ and has invaded our lives, we give you honor and praise for being present in the life of Peter Thornburg. That we have seen your face in his life is such an honor. It makes us want to see you face to face. Oh God, may we leave this place and never leave your presence. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just over there is what is known as the fireside room. There's some people sitting there already. Then there is the multi-purpose room where there is a feast prepared with Dr. Pepper. On this road, high and low, where I go, I go with you. There's a city that calls me by name. There's a city that calls me by name. Yes, as I run this race, I am cheered by the saints. There's a city that calls me by name. There's a future that runs through my veins There's a future that runs through my veins I go with you There's a spirit 
I go with you. 